We have been doing a study on the parables of Jesus, and we have been in Matthew chapter 13, where we see eight parables just almost back to back to back to back to back. And the reason, there's a reason for that. You don't see that anywhere else in the New Testament except in this one chapter in Matthew. And the reason is because these parables are known and referred to as the kingdom parables. They all build off of uh, each other. There's a lot of similarities in these eight parables. And uh, these parables are written for a very specific reason. If you literally wanted a quick overview of what God was going to do on this planet Earth, this is the chapter you want to read. The only difference is you're not going to, it, 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 there's a lot you're going to catch and there's a lot you're going to miss because of the symbolism that's involved. They are parables. And Jesus went to teaching in parables, um, as we have discussed, as an act of judgment against the Jews uh, because of their disbelief and their constant rejecting of who he was. So he turned right in the middle of his teaching and he turned to teaching in, in parables. But today we're going to stay in line with the kingdom principles uh, since it can stay fresh, because that's what we've been covering every week. The first parable was the seed and the sower. Uh, the second parable is the wheat and the tares. And on both of these parables, Jesus himself gives us the answers. Because, lucky for us, the disciples went to Jesus, and they told Jesus, uh, when he was off on the side, we don't understand a thing, what you, uh, uh, anything that you just said. When you just gave this message on the seed and the sower, what does that mean? They didn't know. So in the Bible, uh, beginning in verse 18, Jesus describes what the meaning of the seed and the sower was. As soon as he was through with that, <coughs> not long later, he gave the parable on the weed and the tares. And again... They didn't understand what he meant when he gave this message, so they asked him, and he gave the answers to that. That is found in verses 36 through 43. Now, the rest of the parables, for whatever reason, they didn't go up to Jesus and say, still lost, clueless, don't know. Why didn't they go up to him and ask? Maybe they were just ashamed at already batting 0-2. and 2. They didn't want to go 0-3 and 0-4, and and so they just quit asking. But the good news is we can know what these other parables mean once we have looked at the meaning of the previous parables because Jesus uses a lot of analogy from a previous message and incorporates it into a new story. And so for us, we can, we can know. Um, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven or the parable of the yeast, uh, if you, you may know about that name, those are the two parables of today. And these are the first two parables where there was no clear interpretation given. But again, um, we don't really need one to really know, having looked at what he had just said 
in the two previous parables. Now, in your Bible, in chapter 13, it's just a couple, it's three short verses. He gives the, uh, the two parables. Beginning in verse 31, Jesus said, And he presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And then that's it. That's all he says. And then he says another one. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leavened. And he just went on. Now, you really do kind of wish someone would have spoke up and said, I just give up. You're going to have to interpret everything, Lord, because I'm just not getting it. That would be nice. But the Lord has given us understanding as to what these things mean. We can ascertain and conclude uh, what Jesus was referring to when he was talking about these parables. There are two aspects of the mustard parable that should draw your attention. The purpose for the mustard seed parable is seen in these two areas. One, that insignificant sized seed. It's a mustard seed. A mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds known to man. Jesus said it was the smallest of the known seeds of that type. It is so small you can't almost even see it. And the other point that we need to be aware of in this parable is not the, uh, the insignificant size of that seed, but how big it grew. That's the reason for the mustard seed parable. Now, before I, we dive into what these parables mean and, and, and how, what they mean to us, just give me one quick minute. I'm going to do a rewind for those that haven't been here so that we can all get brought up uh, to speed on where we're at and how we got there. It's important to remember this. Remember the time frame. Just remember the time frame when Jesus is telling all these rapid-fire parables. He's not just pulling them out of thin air. There's a reason why he's saying all the ones that he is saying. Remember the time frame. Um, these parables were given at a time when Jesus had turned away from the Jews. He did come down to set up his messianic kingdom. He would have come down. All these things changed because of the disbelief of the Jews. Now, Jesus knew that they were going to do this because we read about it. It was prophesied about. Um, and in the New Testament, we read, and Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. So Jesus turns away from the, uh, the Jews. And as he turns away, he opens up another game plan. He goes to another playbook. And he begins playing another, uh, another event that would last for 2,000 years to this day right now. And that game plan was now the gospel will be opened up to the church. 
to the Gentiles. We are living in that time period right now where uh, the gospel and the moving of the gospel among the Gentiles is in full swing. Um, Jesus started to teach using parables. Why? Because while he was expelling truth, he wanted it disguised. Why? It was an act of judgment. And we read about that in Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 10 through 15. Jesus gave the answer to that. Because the disciples, remember when the disciples went up to Jesus and they said, Lord, why are you teaching this way? Nobody understands what you're saying. And he replied, I'm going to tell you why I'm teaching this way. And that's why when he said, you will keep on hearing, but you won't understand a word coming out of my mouth. Uh, you will keep on seeing, but you will not be able to perceive. He says, for the heart of these people has become dull, and their ears barely hear a word. See, it was judgment. So while Jesus fulfilled his message and what he wanted to do, what he wanted to deliver to the Jews on that day, he delivered it, but they didn't understand it. So Jesus now begins to paint this ginormous picture using eight parables on this is the way it's all going to roll out. Here it is. So we saw the seed and the sower. We saw the wheat and the tares. And just by chance, if ever you want to hear any of the messages online, you can. If you have not and you want to get caught up or maybe you're just a little bit curious, you can go and you can listen. And that leads us to this passage right here of Scripture about the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast or, or, or the leaven. 2,000 years later, here we are. We are living in that period of time between Jesus when he came, what he was going to do, and then he shifted to the Gentiles, and there's a day coming when the Bible says he's going to turn back. And when he turns back, he will turn back to the Jews. And we know this time the Jews will receive him. Because we read about that in the book of Revelation. Those 144,000 witnesses, those are Jews. Those are Jews. And they're not just Jews for Jesus. I mean, they are charging hell with a squirt gun, Jews for Jesus. Because they are on fire for the Lord. And that's when the Lord is really going to open up their minds and their hearts. And they're going to really see what needs to happen because time is running out. And we know this and we see this disguised and kind of hidden and then kind of not hidden in these parables right here. All right. Now we need to see where does the mustard seed come into play? All right. Let's look at this at this parable. The parable of the mustard seed is a parable about false growth. Now let me do one other thing too. Let me draw your attention to the common characteristics of these two parables with all the parables we've already looked at. Um, because I want you to begin to kind of see there's a whole lot of similarities between all these parables. The first one has to do uh, with the fact that we see a similar comparison. There is a similar comparison of the mustard seed uh, with 
the kingdom of heaven down here and what it will involve. It will involve both the true and the false aspects of the kingdom. When you look at this parable of the mustard seed and you compare it to the other two that we've already looked at, uh, we see the good and the bad taking place in the, in the same parable, all right? There's a second similar characteristic, um, and that is, whereas in the parable of the mustard seed, a man is involved in uh, the other two parables, Christ was involved. Three, here, right here with the mustard seed, it says that we see a field, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sold in his field. Whereas in the other two parables, the field was the world. It was the world. A fourth similar uh, characteristic that we see here. Here we have a seed, a small seed. Whereas in the other two parables, the seed was the word of God. Was the word of God. And the impact of the word of God. Five, uh, we see growth is taking place here, but growth was taking place in the other two parables as well. And then the sixth very similar characteristic that we see here is the presence of evil existed. It was symbolized by weeds. And the same occurs in this parable when we see the symbolism of the birds of the air and how they come and flock and rest in its branches. Because we know what the birds represented, and we'll get to that. So now we're in the parable of the mustard seed. Very short parable. What does the mustard seed represent? It represents false growth. That's what it represents. It's about a small seed that grows into a very, very big tree. The picture here is a picture of the birth of the church. It's very small. It's insignificant. Downtown Jerusalem and the birth of the church and how it slowly began to grow. We see it in its infant stages. We see the humble beginning of the early church and what it was. And then eventually, and through time, the church grew into something very, very, very big. Now this is universally speaking, the church. But the problem is, it became foreign to its designed purpose. And what I mean by that, in other words, the church was at its birth, it was doing what it was intended to do. It, it was what it was intended to be, what God wanted it to be. But throughout time, the changes and the direction, and we're going to go into that, have so crept into the church, universally speaking, that it has corrupted the church. It has become something that the Lord did not want it to become. And that's where we are today. We see two separate things here taking place. Now, I just want consider this. This is very short. Just consider this. Every living thing within its structure has its own particular genetic code, right? We do. Plants do. 
animals do. Every living creature or part of creation has its own particular genetic code. It literally will reproduce and it will develop in accordance with the orders that are contained within the code. Within the code. And just like that, just like that, using that train of thought, the church as well as Christianity were to be planted into the world with fixed certain characteristics okay this is the way it's supposed to develop this is the way it's going to roll out this is the way it's going to grow this is what it's going to do because it's natural because it's what this is what it is if it did not do what it is supposed to do it would go against its own genetic code um, and that would be that would be a problem now, these are the things that God has structured or purposed for the church. That is what it was supposed to be. To become something other than what it was intended, it would be unnatural, but mostly it would be useless. It would be useless. Now, let's look back at that parable. Jesus said that the mustard seed, this is important, what did it become? It became a tree. That's what Jesus said. It became a tree. Why is it a big deal that it became a tree? It's very simple. It's very simple. Botanically speaking, if you're into plants, a mustard seed is not a tree. It's not a tree. It's the equivalent of an apple tree producing oranges. That would never happen. But that's the comparison. It is very similar to an orange tree producing lemons. That'll never happen. But that's the comparison. A mustard seed is not a tree. In fact, it will grow to the size of what we would call, it's an herb. It would literally, a mustard seed would grow to the size of what we would call a shrub. That's it. But this tree is so big, other than the fact it's a tree, it's so big that all the birds come and rest and finds rest in its branches. See, Jesus was really going. He was swinging big, making a point on this one right here. It is not a tree. A tree so big. Now, there's a lot going on. Remember in that parable of the sower, remember uh, who the birds were, the, the symbolism of the birds? They were demons. It was Satan's influence. The birds represented, because remember they came and they ate the seed when it fell on the path. Remember that? The birds came, and before they had a chance to take root, the birds came and snatched them up. Remember, and we, we discussed what all that meant. So keep that in mind, what the birds represent. The birds, which were the enemy and the sower in the first parable, they now take their abode, y'all, they now take their abode in the mustard seed, in the mustard seed tree. It's easy to find evil spirits at work. 
within the branches of the church today. Um, and within the branches of this thing, this thing that we call Christendom. Christendom. Roman Catholicism, Greek Orthodox, and some Protestant churches today fall prey to these birds, and many of them never even realize it. There's all kinds of problems taking place with our churches today. People wanting power. People coming in and changing it, making it about them. There's so many churches today, they're so caught up with this PC culture that we live in that they haven't shared the gospel in years. There's so many churches today you can go into and you can leave and you will have never heard a single word about who Christ is, what Christ did, and what God wants for you. There's a lot of stuff going on in churches today and it's just, it's all over. You know, there's an endless supply of illustrations that you could use to show what Christendom 2,000 years later has become. It's become very worldly. Christendom is very imperial. And it's very powerful. Look at this quote up here on the screen. John Phillips drew an interesting parallel when he made a comment on the organization of the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican throughout the Middle Ages when he said, when he said, what pagan Rome, what pagan Rome was, papal Rome became. Now that's a swing right there. That's a swing. The identity of the church is under attack. But this is, this is across the board. It's no one denomination. Not at all. Not at all. You know, the expansion of the church today now finds itself as a superpower in the religious and political world. When you see an outward grasping for material structures and power, as you do today, you will always find the birds. The birds will be there. You will also find those same birds in these places we call cults. Cults with weird, Bible-distorting, Christ-denying doctrines. Old churches, new churches, and even sound churches are under constant attack today. We see it playing out all around us. The rise of social issues as dividing churches left and right. You know, it was just two weeks ago, on the news, the 530 News, there was a segment talking about the split that is about to take place within the Methodist church because of the gay agenda. The split is so severe. Too many churches today um, are taking a back seat to popular opinion rather than standing on what the Word of God says. We live in a day today where the gospel in America, it is not about Jesus, it is a gospel of tolerance. And you better believe what I have to say, irregardless of how crazy I may have some thoughts, it's just your position, your role is to take what I say and go with it. 
And failure to do that, you are now labeled. That's the day and age in which we live. Let's get back to that parable. Remember that tree that we saw in the parable? Now, you'll want to write down these two verses. They're not up here uh, on the screen. But in Daniel chapter 4, verse 12, and then in Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 23, that's Daniel 4, 12, Ezekiel 17, 23, those two passages right there are huge passages that describes what this tree is and what the tree represents in the scriptures. You know, the tree represents world power. World power. A mighty tree is, is a symbolic picture of world power. And Jesus, in this parable, talks about this very small seed growing into this huge tree this world power, if you will. And we see that this has taken place so much so that Satan and the demons infiltrated. Look up on the screen. Warren Wiersbe, one of my heroes of the faith. I usually call him all the time because the guy is just so amazing. He's like Billy Graham. He said this. He said, quote, Certainly Christendom has become a worldwide power with a complex organization of many branches. What started in a humble manner today boasts of material possessions and political influences. Isn't that true? We know it's true. Helen Keller could see that. That's exactly what it is. Let's wrap up this thing on the mustard seed. Let's wrap it up. What do we see? We see within this parable the church, the local church, and how it has deviated, it has deviated from its original function to become something it was never, ever meant to become. Because of the corrupt and the evil and the outside influences within the church going on now these 2,000 years, for the most part, it has lost its initial purpose and its function. And obviously, this is not every church, but it applies to many that will succumb to Satan's influence. When the church of today exchanges the Word of God for a gospel of popular opinion or tolerance, it will cease in its power and its influence to affect lives, to change hearts, and to save souls. We would do well to remember the importance of being diligent and following what the Word of God has to say today and to persevere and making certain that only true doctrine is preached. Only that which we can back up and that is validated, that which is found in the Bible is, has the first say and it has the last say on every manner. There are many churches today, there's good news, there's a lot of churches today and they're maturing. They're growing uh, they're growing for, for God. They're growing for the Lord. And that, my friend, I believe you will find at Red Baptist as well. Red Baptist has gone through a lot of changes. 
in, in, in many years, 106 years, Retta has been here. Really good days and not so good days at Retta Baptist Church. But Retta has prevailed. You know why Retta continues, I think, to move in the direction that honors the Lord? It has nothing to do with how nice we can make things look. We've been really far behind, but boy, we've made up ground on that, haven't we? It is the witness of the believers. Every single one of y'all in this room, if you're a Christian and you, go, you hang your hat at Red Baptist Church, you represent Jesus. And we've had enough people that have this, this desire to not just want to say, hey, let's just come to church and hang out. Let's just come here and we'll have a good time. There's enough people that has a desire. They want to see people's lives change because they know the answer is Jesus. It's not a club. It's, it's, not a, it's not a business. It's a person. It's the center figure of Christianity today. And we've had heroes of the faith that are now in glory right now that we can testify of the influence that they have had in our lives, helping us to be the people that we are today. And everyone outside of these walls here today, people are looking, whether they know it or not, they're looking, they're expecting you to make a difference in their lives. Because right now, the only thing they have is the status quo, and that's not going to do it. That's not going to do it. And you know, a lot of these same people, they don't know what the answer is, but you do. You know what that answer is. Your job is to get the answer out. Your job is to talk to them. Your job is to listen to them. Your job is to be there with them and invite them to come. Let them know the things that are going on. We will only be as effective as we are in our actions. If we just want to talk about something being great, and that's it, it'll never happen. It takes more than just talk. And it takes all of us here. All of us. No one is insignificant. And we all move in that direction. It's just time to get busy, is what it boils down to. Now, while the parable of the mustard seed is a parable about false growth, we see that the following parable, the parable of the leaven, or the yeast, as you may know it, it is about false doctrine. It's about false doctrine. Here's all we get from it. And he spoke another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took, hid it in three packs of meal, until it was all leavened. That's it. That's all he said. But taken in light of what we've already read now, the three parables, we know what he's getting at. We know what he's alluding to. We know. When the mustard seed emphasizes or illustrates, if you will, the false outward expansion, expansion of the kingdom, the leaven now illustrates the inward development or false doctrine, which leads to false living. Ernestine knows very well the power of yeast in what it does with food. And not just Ernestine. All the ladies here will know, and maybe one guy. But we know the power. It's, do you see it? Nope. 
But is it working? Yes. When yeast is involved. All throughout the Bible, did you know that leaven is a symbol that is always used, almost always used, it's a symbol of evil. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, yeast had to be removed from all the Jewish homes during the Passover. It was also excluded from sacrifices. The only exception being the loaves that were used at the Feast of Pentecost. Jesus even used leaven as a picture of hypocrisy when he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, even though every time we see leaven, it's used as a symbol of evil, I do not believe in any way, because it just does not fix, uh, fit the narrative, that's not the intention of it here. I believe that the picture that we get, the picture that we derive from this very short parable is focusing on the effects, the effects of leaven. What yeast does. Remember, this is coming from within. The mustard seed, the effects were outward. It's false growth. It's becoming something it shouldn't do. It's getting involved in things it should not get involved in. But here, with the leaven, it's inward. It's what's generating this thing to become something that it should not become. Why? Because it's feeding on false doctrine, false things, false narratives. You know, yeast has a common ingredient. Uh, yeast was a common ingredient of the day of Jesus. That's why he used this parable. Everybody connected to it. Whenever the woman in this parable, as she prepared the bread, she would take flour, uh, water, uh, yeast, and a little bit of salt, and she would mix it. And once done, it would set up where the yeast within the ingredients would eventually take over and the dough would begin to rise. The yeast, the leaven, gives the bread the growth in the end. And while it is unseen, uh, for it's been blended in with everything else within it, the effects are very noticeable, aren't they? Sure, sure they are. You know, in the same way, we see the effects of yeast or leaven within the church today. Satan has worked overtime in introducing false doctrine and false living into the ministry of the Word of God. From the early days of the church, believers have battled false doctrine and hypocrisy and those same battles exist today. Remember when I said when we first started that first parable in this kingdom parable passage in Matthew chapter 13. Remember, out of the four seeds, the seed fell on rocky soil, uh, the, uh, the thorns, it fell among the thorns, and they came up and choked out. Uh, a seed fell just along the path and didn't have time to root. Remember, none of those seeds. The last seed was the seed that only took root 
germinated, and some of those seeds created 30, 60, and 90 others. That's because certain individuals have the ability to impact more than others, but they all impact. But out of those four seeds, three of them, three of them failed. Three of them did not grow to become what God had wanted them to become. And so in those same parables, they were gathered up at the end and they were burned. They were discarded. And that parable, there's only one seed. 25% of the seeds became what God wanted them to become. And when you look at that, and when you remember that, you, you have to ask yourself, well, wouldn't Satan really be satisfied knowing that he's led 75% of the people astray? And what, isn't that enough for him? It's not enough. Because now what does he do? He turns to that 25%, and in that 25%, he's going to do everything he can to discredit your witness, to cause you to be disillusioned about church things. Here's the big one. He's going to cause you to just give up, want to give up on God and give up on Christianity because someone wronged you and, and they are supposed to be a Christian. Satan will do everything. He's constantly working. and he's con The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you are in his sights because you pose a big threat. You can make a big impact on people. He does not want that to happen. And so when we see all this stuff playing out, he's not through when he leaves the majority away. He's looking at those who refuse to give up, who, those who serve, who serve Jesus. I want you to consider for a moment this internal problem that leads to external devastation. I want you to consider for a moment the universities, both here in America and abroad, who have completely, completely abandoned their original purpose when they were founded. Josh, I don't know why I thought a lot about you on this, but there's many others in here that this would apply to. Consider the changes from within the establishments of universities around us today. As Christians move to the left, both in their, in their thinking and in their ideology and in the way that they look at the Scriptures, internally, these places of education also change in both its purpose and its effectiveness as well. As Christians begin to adopt a naturalistic view of life, it didn't take long for the rest of their faith to fall apart, did it? Did you know that Harvard was named after a Christian minister? Did you know that? Did you know Yale was started by clergymen? And that Princeton, uh, Princeton's first year was taught by a Reverend Jonathan Dickinson. Did you know that? Did you know that Princeton's crest still today, uh, De Sub Numen Vigit, is Latin for under God she flourishes. Did you know that? You wouldn't know it if you went there because you wouldn't see a single speck to Jesus in that university today. Did you know Oxford was established by various religious orders? 
Do you know that? Did you know Cambridge University began in 1209 by Christian leaders? Do you know that? I could go on and on and on. And all of these and a great many others, the very notion of any type of Christian establishment or influence has been completely erased. Why? It is because when you begin to compromise and get away from the Word of God, when you begin to bring into the fabric of your theology those things that are not founded or girded with absolute truth, you will surrender away your position to the Bible. You will surrender away your position to the authority of the Word of God. And that's how it happens. And y'all, just like that, sin, a little bit of yeast, it grows quietly. It's not making any noise. It's not drawing attention. It's just growing. It's real gradual. There's no rush here. It's real slow. And it quietly corrupts. It quietly puffs up. And it takes over. And just like these schools, these universities that we've looked at, the early church, it battled false doctrines and hypocrisy. Both have turned away from truth and they've turned to fables. And that's what they teach today. When you mix a little leaven into the fold, you will reap every time the results. You know, in the parable of the leaven, we see the inward decay of the professing church. That's what you see in this parable. The inward decay of the professing church. In the mustard seed, in the mustard seed parable, we see the outward display of the professing church. And therein lies the meanings of the two parables. The parables found in Matthew chapter 13 are known as the kingdom parables because their emphasis is on the kingdom, the kingdom that Christ was bringing. He, uh, his rule now, the rule of Christ right now, it is through the church, but it is unseen. But there is coming a day when it will be seen. That's when he comes back. Right now, February 2nd, 2-2-2020, all that weird stuff that you see about the numbers and all that. We are living in a day right now, we are literally living in between the time of the birth of the church. Here we are, and here's the return. We are living in this in-between time. That's the time that we live in right now. That's the time. And that is how... When you look at these parables, these kingdom parables, man, they really speak to us today. Why? Because we see all this stuff being played out right now. This is the time period for us. This is where we live. The day is coming, the Bible says, when Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, the church is gone. The church has been raptured out. And now we are in heaven. We have appeared at the judgment seat of Christ. And while that is going on, we know that the millennial kingdom begins down here um, at that point.
But until that time comes, we get to see the overall view from God's perspective of how all this stuff is going to play out. And we see it through these little parables like we saw today. Through God's help and through God's grace, we're going to continue to lift up Jesus. We're going to continue to make certain that Red Baptist Church is abiding by the Word of God because it's living on the Word of God. And the church, the church has the power to make decisions. It's not a pastor. It's not a one-man job. It is the church, the priesthood of the believers. That is y'all. Everybody has a say. And everyone gets involved. Why? Because you're the church. You're the church. And as we move forward doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're going to grab as many people as we can along the way and hopefully show them a better way of living. And we're just going to give them heaven. That's what we're going to do at Red Baptist Church. We're going to live for Jesus. We're going to edify one another, encourage one another, and we're going to give them heaven. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And God, we want to thank you that we are in a place where we know you are here, where you are front and center. And God, we, we, just, we recognize that you alone are the only one who's capable to do all the things that we want to see happen. God, it is our prayer today that every single thing that we do and everything that we represent or, or try to represent would draw uh, glory to you, not to ourselves and not to others around us. Lord, it's to you. God, you're the one who started the church. Lord, we recognize that the church, it's your idea. It's not ours. And Lord, what we want to do, we want the church to be seen in such a way that as people come here or as they go by here, it's positive. It, it's, it's changing. It's life-changing. It's a place where they know they can go to and have their, their, their answers. Uh, God, we just pray and ask that you would remind us that the church is a hospital for sick people. And there's no one in this room today that's absolutely perfect. God, that will never happen. I just pray, God, that you would help us to remember that we are dependent on you, who you are, and what you can do. And God, we just ask that you would just take charge of this place. And Lord, I pray today, God, would you please speak to every single person in this room and those who are upstairs with our children. God, would you validate within their heart the importance that they play. God, would you remind all of us the importance that we play and how we live for you when we leave here in just a few minutes. And this whole week, God, people are looking for answers. And I pray, God, you would help us to remember that. Lord, today, would you meet the needs that everyone has here today. And for those who are struggling in their spiritual walk, God, encourage them to speak to you more about that, to find someone who's godly that they could go to and talk to, do whatever needs to be done to get them over that hump so they can get going in the way in which you've designed them to, to, to run. God, we just want you to know 
that we love you. And God, this whole place is for you and your Holy Spirit to roam and to move in any way that you see fit. And we just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and touch us as you do what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.